greet you in Jesus' name. When I was going, growing up in Big Valley, we periodically had travelogues. Any of you been to travelogue? Yeah, they were a big deal in Big Valley because we didn't travel. Um, coming to Lancaster was like once every five years, and that was a big, big deal um, to come down here. Um, you came up and took our, over our cabins and mountain ground all the time, but coming down to see you was a big, big deal. This morning, we're going to do a kind of travelogue, as it were, of two groups of people. We're going to look first of all at the people of God as they wandered from the wilderness into Canaan. And then we're going to go back a few years and look at our own congregation. I reworded the message this morning, why are we, why are we where we are and how are we leading? In the next two Sundays, we'll look at the what of our ministries and our mission in this congregation. As you may note in the bulletin from the note that I wrote, this comes out of a number of presentations that some in our congregation have given to other congregations, where we've been invited to by other congregations to share the story of what God has been doing among us. Most recently, 13 of us went to Franconia Mennonite Church in uh, the Southerton, Franconia area. We've been to Marion Mennonite in Chambersburg. We had a group of folks here. Uh, of eight congregations, and on the way back from Franconia, we talked about the fact that probably we have not systematically shared with you as much, much as perhaps we've shared with other congregations about who we are, why we're here, how we're leading, and the what of our ministries and mission. The why, how, and what comes, and I want to give credit to Josh Gish for, uh, in a ministry team meeting this week, encouraging us um, to always begin with the question, Why? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we where we are? And then how and what? And so I've organized in some ways that this morning. Four leaders after myself will share this morning. The executive committee of the boards for the, of the board, church board for the last three years. Um, Steve Keener, who was chair last two years, last two years. Susan, who's chair now. Scotty Miller, who was vice chair, who was, uh, vice chair and uh, for several years is not on the board now. And also um, Scott Gockenauer, who is uh, secretary of the board now, will share a few minutes, uh, a few moments later, about their own um, sense of, um, in particular areas, how God is leading us. The scriptures for this morning, and you can turn to, uh, you can change the slide, um, Ethan. We're going to start in Isaiah 61, and I'm not reading all of these chapters, all of them, but, but, but we're telling a story. We're, actually, we're hearing a story. I'm not telling a story. This is not my story. This is God's story. But we're going to hear a story that's unfolding across these chapters. But I'd like to begin with Isaiah 61, because if there is a why, this is it. If Jesus, at the beginning of his own ministry, stood up in the temple and read Isaiah 61 as the beginning for why he came, this has to be why we are here. I've often said we exist not for ourselves, but for the world that God so loved and so loves still. You are going to hear the world that God so loves still in this passage, and that, he, and that, that we are called to love as well. Isaiah 61, do you have a page number, guys? 607 in the Pew Bible, if you have a Bible in front of you. Uh, if, you don't have, if you didn't bring one with you, it's Isaiah 61, and I'm reading from the, King, from the, new, from the NIV. And I'm reading verses 1 to 3. This is what Jesus read when he was commissioned and called at the beginning of his ministry. This is our why, folks. This is why we are here. This is why we're on this journey. If this was the Messiah's why, this is certainly our why. Amen? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me or on us. 
Because the Lord has anointed us to preach good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We have all been these people. We still are these people. We are the prisoner. We are the brokenhearted. We are the captive. We are in darkness. Uh, we are the poor, and on and on and on. And yet we have been given this commission to bring life and freedom and hope to the world around us. That's why we're here. Amen? We're not here this morning because we felt like it would be warmer here than outside. We're not here this morning because our best friends are here. We're here because we're called on a mission. That's why. It's the same mission that Jesus himself was called on. And actually, it's the same mission that the people of God were called on when they were called to leave Egypt for the promised land. Because they were on a mission also out of whom the Messiah would come. Their journey was not just to conquer Canaan. We often think they left Egypt to get Canaan. Canaan was the ground out of which the Messiah was to come. The children of Israel were the vehicle from which the Messiah was to come. They did not exist for themselves, but they existed for the world around them. And when they forgot that, they went into exile. They, like us, exist not for ourselves, not for our own well-being, but for the world that God loved and so loves still. If you would turn the slide... Um, Ethan, um, this slide that you see represents a U, and it starts from the uh, right-hand side where we might have put Egypt, and it, it ends up in the left-hand side with the arrow, the Messiah on God's mission. And I want to read these passages this morning, some scriptures from these passages, and once we get to Numbers 13, I'm not going to ask you guys down front for the page numbers, I just want Numbers 13, because then we're going to move through these passages pretty quickly. But I want you to hear the journey they are on. Each of the passages we read this morning will highlight a part of the journey that the people of God are on after they leave Egypt. Numbers 13. 116. 116 in the Pew Bible, uh, Numbers 13. And I'm going to read 1 through 3. And then I'm going to skip over to verse 26. 1 to 3 and 26. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. Verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite assembly at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into that land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the hill the hill. The Hittites, Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, 
We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All of the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. They are the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. In every community, in every organization, in every group of people, there comes a key moment where a decision has to be made that's going to have an impact on the future. There are lots of these moments. But in this case, it was the 12 spies who returned from, from searching out Canaan. Ten of them come back and say, I mean, these were all leaders. Every tribe picked, assumingly, apparently, its best leader. These were 12 of the best leaders of Israel. They came back, 10 gave a bad report and said, we can't go in, we'll be killed. Moses hadn't even asked them to evaluate whether they could do it or not. He said, just search out the land and find out what it's like. He didn't ask them for an answer, could they do it or not. They took that out of Moses' hand. But Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can do this, or Caleb in particular. And of course, Joshua believed the same thing. That was a critical decision, or sometimes what's called a shift in an organization or community that is going to predict for years to come what that community is going to do. It was unbelief that they couldn't cross over into the land. And so for the next 40 years, you know what happens. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years following Moses, complaining, griping. And they wondered until when. When were they finally able to cross the land? After what had happened? Everyone over 20 had died. This point between the shift and the bottom of the U for an organization or a community or church is often a giving up of something. It's a hard time. It's a hard experience because you're on this journey, but you have to give things up. And what the children of Israel had to give up was everyone over 20, except two, Joshua and Caleb, because they had what? They had faith. They had believed God's promises that they could take this land. Everybody else had to die before they could go over. Sociologists often will say that the greatest way you bring change is for the old cohorts to die. It's kind of crass, but it's often true in social change. And that was working here. Those who did not believe God's promises had to die before everyone else could go in. And then for many, again, communities, groups, there is this called a tipping point, and you find it at the bottom of the slide. And I'm going to read from Joshua, actually from Deuteronomy 31. And actually, why don't you tell us where that one is, because we're skipping a little bit there. Deuteronomy 31. Threw you a curveball, sorry. 164. Moses is about to die, and he has words for Joshua. I'm going to read 1 to 8. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over you, ahead of you, as the Lord said. And the Lord will do to them what he did to Sion and Og, the king of the Amorites, 
whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. He doesn't give them a choice this time. He doesn't say, if you feel, go, go over and check out the land. He's had it. We've wandered 40 years. Everyone over 20 is dead. Now is the time to move. Now is the time to go. But then, remembering probably what had happened when the 12 spies returned, he says this over and over again. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And that is going to be a promise that is repeated over and over again to the people of God at this time and to Joshua in a few moments. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Moses is looking back and he's saying, do not do what your forefathers did. Look where it got us. Now is the time to move. And to do that, you must be strong and courageous and know that God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. You hear it? Courageous, strong. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then Moses dies. And in Joshua 1, we pick up the story again. Joshua has now taken over the reins. And God comes to Joshua. And the words are exactly the same. Joshua 1, reading a few verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then... You and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place, every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river of the Euphrates all the Hittite, to all the Hittite country. To the great sea on the west, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will leave these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and what? Very courageous. If you've got any doubt now, let's add a very to it. Over and over and over. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's almost the same thing that God has spoke to Moses. And one of the things that interested me as I was preparing for the message is how often obeying God's law went hand-in-hand hand with be strong and courageous. It's not enough for us to stand up and say, I'm brave. It's not enough to stand up and say, I'm strong. But, the, but obedience to God's law always goes hand-in-hand hand with strength. Our strength comes from knowing the word of the Lord. Our strength comes from obeying the word of the Lord. Our strength comes from being faithful to the word of the Lord. Because when the spies came back and said, we're not going up, the people rebelled and they tried to go up themselves against God's law and they were slaughtered. 
It's not enough to be strong and courageous. It always goes hand in hand with obedience to God's word. And so we see they cross the Jordan River. Let's go to chapter 3. And I'll read just a couple of verses where they actually make the crossing. Verse 1, chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, which was the presence of God, and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been what? This way before. I don't know, something about that line that I love. That in our journey with God, he will sometimes lead us in ways we have never been before. But he says to us in those moments, be strong and courageous. I will never leave you or forsake you. And then he says, be strong and very courageous. I will never leave you or forsake you. Church, we will, we have, and we will continue to go through places we have never been before. And the people before us never were before. Because the, the, the history of God, the eschatology of God that we talked about in the Paul series is not a circle, nor is it a straight line. Sometimes it includes these U's. Sometimes it includes these dips. But a turning point happens when the people of God cross the Jordan and they enter into Canaan. But if you read the chapters after chapter 3, it was not easy going. Just because they crossed the Jordan... It was not easy going for them. There are two things that stand out as I read those chapters. Battles and boundaries. They had to do battle over and over and over again, and they had to set boundaries. Boundaries to protect themselves. Boundaries for where different tribal groups had their land. Boundaries for where different landowners had their land. Battles and borders characterized this moment from the crossing the Jordan up until Joshua's death. Sometimes when we're in the midst of the battles and boundaries, it feels like we're back in the wilderness. Sometimes the very things that happen in the battles and boundaries are the very same, same things that happen in the wilderness. But folks, we're not in the wilderness anymore. Just because it feels that way doesn't mean it is that way. It's not. It's a very different context. The people of God had crossed the tipping point. They had crossed the Jordan. Did bad things happen in the battles and borders, battles and boundaries, yes. If you remember the story of Achan, he stole what he was not to steal. He was destroyed. If you remember the story of the Gibeonites, they deceived Joshua without him even having prayed to God about it. In fact, just before they deceived him, he had made a new covenant to God. And he gets up from his knees and he's deceived by the Gibeonites. The fact that bad things happen, the fact that there is division, the fact that there's controversy during the battle and boundary period doesn't mean you're still back in the wilderness. No, you've moved on. And then they get to the end of Joshua's life and um, he is, he's laid to rest and then the land actually before that, the land is also at rest. There is the season that comes to them. But all along this journey, they were not to get Canaan just for themselves. The prophets in the New Testament will make it clear that it is the Messiah's mission that they are part of. They have been set apart for God's mission to redeem the world and redeem the world from sin. And they would end up in exile 
because they forgot that. Whenever we forget, folks, why we exist, that we exist not for ourselves, we will end up exiled somewhere from where we're supposed to be. We exist as a congregation because God has called us to this place to bring good news to the poor, to free the captives, to bring light to those in darkness. That's why we are here. Amen? That's why we're here. Turn to the next slide if you would. And I'd like to recount for you, as I prayed, my sense of our own journey as a congregation. And our journey as a congregation has probably over the last 120 years included a number of these U's. But I think for the last eight or 10 years, this has been our experience. And it has a very similar trajectory of the experience of God's people. As you are aware, Heidi and I served here in this congregation from 2000 to 2005. And I left saying that I failed this congregation to lead it into God's mission. I was a failed missional leader. And during those next intervening six years, God did some things in Heidi and I so that when you called us back, we said, we will come back, but only if you're committed to the mission of God. Only if first and foremost, the why we exist is the God's mission. And we thought we set the bar high enough that you would say no. And you said, yes, that's where we want to go. We didn't know how God was going to lead us. God often doesn't give us a script. God often doesn't give any of us a narrative. There's not a map for most of the stuff he calls us to do. The only map we've got are, is his presence in front of us, and that's enough, that he will never leave us or forsake us. And I just want to say that as I walk through this story with you, there will probably be for you your own travel log that happens. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I want to say first and foremost, anything that has happened that has brought us to where we are is because God has done it. Because God has been faithful, because God has been good, because God has led and God has directed us. So in 2011, there was this commitment that we felt from you to lead into God's mission. And if you remember, those of you who were here, there were three, three what, Heidi? Three hanging on the wall. Banners, thank you. Three banners, and one of them was mission. One of them was the word, and one of them was worship. We, we said as we come, mission has to be front and foremost of what we are doing. But then, there, there was a period of struggle. You can fill in the blanks and the slides and the pictures in your own head. But there were struggles in the congregation around authority. Where does authority really lie in the congregation? Who's leading? Where's accountability? But something happened, as I've heard you share and as, as I've reflected, as Heidi and I have shared, at the bottom of this you in about 2016 and 17, when I hear most of you talk about our recent history and the changes that have occurred, it's about this period. And I think there were a couple, several things that happened there. One, when I went back in preparation for this, at the beginning of 2016, in January, I preached four sermons on Joshua. And in the second week of January, I said, we are crossing the river now. This is our call. God has crossed us, called us to cross this river. But I was being encouraged by you to do that. I was feeling the push from you to, 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 to inaugurate that crossing. And certainly by God himself. Another thing that happened was in early 17, summer of 17, Heidi and I went on a sabbatical. We left the church in God's hands by leaving it in your hands. And we went on a sabbatical, and as we shared, that was transformative for us in many ways. We did a retreat in Colorado that was powerful for us. We spent time away together. We came back refreshed and renewed, uncertain about what God had for us or for you. But we came back to a congregation that also had just continued with the mission and continued with the work, and had gained confidence in doing that. 
We came back assuming that we would need to put in place what the board had approved, which was a new ministry team. That had been, put, that had been written out before we left, but it was going to take a constitutional set of changes in a business meeting. And we assumed that that business meeting would, would not happen in September. We came back from our sabbatical, and you had done that work. The board had done that work already, and we came back, and you, I think, unanimously approved that ministry team model that we're now living with in 2017. Heidi and I, you called us to be a lead ministry couple, and that has changed things, I think, um, for us in leading. The other thing that happened, and another thing that happened that I would point to in my own ministry in life was the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease in early 2017 that in many ways transformed the way I think about life, about God, about myself, about ministry, about the kingdom, about a lot of things. That, I think, 1617 was a tipping point for our congregation, at which point we said, we have worked at this enough, we've, 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 we've pushed through this enough, we're not turning back now. We are going on, because that's what happens when you get to the tipping point. You said, we've invested too much, it's cost us too much, we've lost too much to go back now. And so thanks be to God for a congregation who entered the, who crossed the Jordan and entered a season that still would not be easy. But it became a season in which a number of things had to be redefined. And the, the leaders this morning will help to flesh that out. The ministry team had to be discerned. We now have a full board, of, a full team of ministers. And I cannot tell you, I tell you, but I, don't, I can't fully express how excited I am by a team of leaders that we trust and who are faithful and who are doing way above and beyond what we could ever do or then they are called to do. Having 30-somethings on your team pushing you on things like the technology and a whole bunch of other things is a wonderful place to be. I thank God for this team and for you who called them. New values we've been discerning that have to do with authority. Where does authority lie? We've been talking about a lot about that. What are metrons? of leadership. What does it mean to have accountability in the congregation? What does it mean to be a member with accountability in the congregation? All of those things have been part of the battles and borders for us that we have had to walk through that sometimes have felt like we're back in the wilderness, but we're not. Amen? Amen? We have crossed the Jordan, folks. We are in a new place that we have never been before. And some days it will feel like the old place, but it is not. I'm working with the bishop board right now in leading them through a process of change in the bishop board that's very similar to the change in our congregation. And God has given me that, that opportunity at this time. Thirteen years ago, the bishops wrote a paper about what the role of bishop should be, that it should be apostolic, that it should be about the mission of God, but it got no traction Today, the bishops are embracing that model. And we went back and looked at that paper, and it's almost identical to what they're embracing now. Thirteen years ago, they weren't ready. But now, they're ready. There's been a tipping point that has happened. But that time was not wasted. And I just want to say that time that we have in the wilderness is not wasted in God's economy. Because we have to get through it. Because God needs to get some stuff out of us before we can cross the river. We've got too much baggage on us or we'll drown even though there's no water in the river. But he's got to strip us of some stuff that can be very painful at times before we're really ready for the mission. And so there are losses that happen that we grieve on that side of the river. And then we cross over together 
And what we're struggling with now, when you're on the other side, is very different, though, than what you struggled with before. Because it is a different place. It is a different land. It sometimes feels the same when people leave, when people disagree, when there's conflict. But it's not the same. We have crossed the river. And one of the things that excites me most now is how, uh, and John Simpkins repeatedly during the building project said, what are we, what's this facility mean for the mission of God? And one of the things that excites me is how quickly this facility, this location that you said we must stay here because God has called us here, is becoming in this community a center of mission. This facility is becoming pretty quickly a center of mission. We are an outpost of God's mission in this congregation. We exist not for ourselves, not so we can settle down and have a nice life in Canaan, but we exist because there's a community around us that God has called us to. And I am excited about the work Paul is doing and leading in that and how he is helping to lead all of us into that. I'm excited about other things that you're doing in that. But that, in my sense of God's, as I've prayed and listened, this is where we are. There's an exciting season ahead for us as a congregation in this mission that God has called us to. And I'd like to ask the four board members, former board members that I've uh, invited to come to the front. And we're going to make space here for you. Um, and 